and welcome to episode 14 of Western Reaches, our uh, Tashi Station podcast about all the games, books, and other geeky things that we've been into. I'm Megan. I'm here with my co-host, Saf. Hello. Um, so today we have, um, we're going to be talking about something that's been preoccupying me for the last week and a half or so. Um, we're going to be talking about Destiny's newest expansion, Rise of Iron. I've been having a lot of fun. Um, I've been playing a lot with uh, our other, with our special guest today, which is Tom. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hey, Megan. Hey, Seth. Tom is the editorial assistant at Delray Star Wars and Delray Spectra, and he is my fireteam friend for Destiny. So, Aww. yeah. So uh, we're both kind of half asleep because we were playing the raid until like one in the morning, and then I was up until about two thirty finishing my uh, my review. So <laughs> we'll try to be coherent today. Try being the operative word there, but yes. <laughs> yeah, emphasis emphasis on try. So, but I think it'll be cool because we have a lot to say. Um, I've been a Destiny fan for two years now, and there's um we're going into year three, and part of what I talked about in my review is that like beginning of year three and Destiny still feels kind of unfinished, but Rise of Iron was a good uh, chunk of new content, so we're gonna talk about what worked and what didn't, and how it sort of fits in like the larger context of things like Star Wars because I know that not everybody plays Destiny, so we'll try to be a little um. A little interesting <laughs> to people who don't want to talk about the minutiae of of the owl sector like I do. So um, first we're going to do our game segment. Um, Saf, you said you haven't been doing too much lately, is that right? Yeah, I've been doing a lot more game dev than um, game playing, which is probably a good thing, but I miss games. Yeah, well that's kind of interesting. Yeah. You had uh you were spotlighted on a couple sites for your Overwatch project recently. Yeah, we went a little bit viral. I think we went viral in like ten different languages or something. It's a little bit overwhelming. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm sure we'll hear more about Loverwatch. Loverwatch yes. in Loverwatch. uh in the next few weeks, months. When is it actually coming out? It should be out next month. I say that like every month, but it should definitely be out next month. Excellent. Um, Tom, have you had uh, time to play anything except Destiny this week? Uh, not really. Uh, I mean, I'm still playing Overwatch, and I actually have lucked into finding a really solid and good group of people to play with, so I have att- attempted to keep up appearances in the game uh, and to play at least once every couple of days, even for just an hour or two, just to stay fresh with the the team that I'm playing with in Overwatch. But other than that, no, it's just been all destiny forever i played life is strange for a couple hours on on sunday a friend was over and she had a, a, a playstation and she had it there so i um i'd not played that before i played through about a chapter and a half and um saf have you played this one yeah i've played it all the way through yeah so it's a like time travel teenage um uh, choice-based game and I uh, it, I'd been wanting to try it out I'm glad I got to try it out but I also think that it just the parts that I played I was not the right audience for this game I felt very much like the places that it gave you the option to use your powers were kind of arbitrary 
and I, I had trouble latching on to the like boarding school story. So I can see, I, I think it was well put together. The music, the soundtrack was fantastic, but I just don't think it was for me. Yeah, I can understand that. I like the game a lot for what it does narratively, and I'm relatively attached to the characters, but I really don't like the rest of the gameplay. It's largely like a point-and-click kind of game, and I don't really like that much, but the time power stuff is kind of fun sometimes. <laughs> it's funny, I got right to... So the, the part where I ended was where you... um. Chloe asks you what's going on and you tell her that you have time travel powers and you have to prove it by telling her what's in her pockets and it was actually one of the more difficult like time travel things because you have to rewind several times and memorize not only what she has but what questions she's going to ask you about it and yeah yeah so right about there I was sort of like this it's a complicated mechanic for a really simple situation and that disconnect about summed up like the, the fact that I didn't like that sort of made me realize it wasn't for me but um there were there were other parts where I thought it did work and I thought the sort of overarching plot of like there's this mysterious twister that may or may not be a literal thing coming to take over the town like that was interesting I totally guessed who the bad guy was from the start. I'm really good at doing that. I don't even mean to. Like, I kind of jokingly, I'm like, that person's the murderer. And then it hits the end of the game, and I'm like, oh, they were. I was right. Um, I, I had some definite, like, genre-aware moments in this. Like, I'm pretty sure. I haven't finished it. So I was like, I'm pretty sure I know that this character is not good because I've you know, seen fantasy shows before. But, yeah. and like, I did like the, the characters, I liked their writing, but there was, like, you know, you had the popular girls and the football guys and the geeky guy who has a crush on your protagonist. Like, the, the characters in the beginning at least fell a little bit too into the school tropes, whether those tropes actually happen at, like, in people's real lives or not. I had sort of trouble latching onto them. Yeah, I can understand that. I think the game did well, and it definitely does have a very targeted audience that love it, but I'm kind of with you. It, it wasn't entirely my game, and I really, there's something at the end of chapter two, which I hate passionately. I really hate what they did with that part of the game, and so I have issues with it. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say like if you if you look at it and see the the how it's animated and read the description and are like, yes, this is definitely for me, I would say go for it. But if you're on the fence, like, it's very much what it says on the tin. Would you say that's right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And at least I think the first chapter is free on Steam now. So if anyone wants to try it, it's easy enough to try. And if anyone doesn't even want to go get it, I can just throw them the random gift copy of the first chapter I have, which is now useless because it's free on Steam. Um, and I really want to get rid of it. <laughs> Oh, cool. Well, that's that's useful. Yeah, feel free to, uh, I guess, add us on Twitter or something. Yeah. Cool. So I have not been doing a ton of reading either this week because of Destiny, but um, I've finished Halo Fractures, which is the basically the new Halo Evolutions, the new like short story collection. And there were some really good stories in it. My favorites were actually from, like, veteran Star Wars authors. Christy Golden had a really good story. John Jackson Miller had a really good story. 
Um, it did some interesting lore stuff, but overall, I was not a huge fan. I thought that some of the stories were oddly, like, basic, basic components of them were missing. There were, there like, an element would be introduced and it would just never appear again and the stories felt very unfinished. But the lore stuff was, like, super interesting. It tells you where Osman and BB and Hood were during Cortana's Rebellion, and I was like, this, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. But I wish the prose was a little bit better. So mixed... I don't even want to say mixed feelings about it. I, I didn't like it nearly as much as I liked Evolutions. Oh, that's disappointing. Was it Halsey in it at all? No. There were some interesting AI things. One of the stories that I really liked was about a researcher who was going to collect a template for an AI. So a person had died and needed permission from their family to be made into a template for an AI. And it was like a discussion between the Oni recruiter and the person who could potentially sign their loved one's rights away. And that was really interesting. And I think there were stories like that that kind of reflected on the whole theme of what Halsey is doing, but she did not appear herself very sadly. There was a couple things with Osman, though. I do like Osman. Yeah, so that was, um, if you, like, I'm almost even hesitant to say if you really like the lore, go for it, because there's interesting lore stuff, but it doesn't answer any of the questions that it poses or very few the forerunner stories I actually really liked and both Christy Golden and John Jackson Miller wrote forerunner stories partially because they were so self-contained they were set like thousands of years in the past and they were very um kind of expanded on what we've seen before but also told their own stories and their own rights and that was really cool okay that I am excited to read because I love the forerunner stuff so much yeah, there, I tend to be a little bit bored by the Forerunner stuff or feel a little distanced from it, but these actually um, made me feel much more like connected to them than I had before. And Christy Golden especially, I thought did really well. Yeah, I'm excited to read her take on Halo because I really like a lot of Dark Disciple. You can sense my hesitation there potentially. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really like her writing style. I, I agree, and um, that's not a bad example. Like, if you like Dark Disciple, even if you didn't like every single thing about it, if you like the writing style, the writing style is, is the same and I think is equally good. Awesome. There's a, there's a story by a woman. Great. Oh, what's that? John Jackson Miller is always great. Yes, his story was, was delightful. I have an interview with him on Den of Geek about partially about his character, who is a forerunner called Adequate Observer, which about tells you <laughs> what you need to know about that Same. character. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and that's, that's pretty great. Oh, I was going to say something else, and now yeah, I completely forgot it. We're I'm just going to say that, like, Siva stole it. Maybe we'll come back to that. Siva. What are you reading, Saf? It's a Disney thing. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I've churned through a bunch of books since last time. Um, I finished L The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, and I don't know how I feel about the book. I, It was fun to read, but it didn't do anything. <laughs> Nothing happened. Hmm. It was a book, like, 
there was no rising tension throughout the book and then it was just like a bunch of little scenes it was very episodic there were a bunch of little things that kind of happened and then the book ended but there was no big build-up to the ending or the the small angry planet at all really and so it, it finished and i was like oh okay it's it's over but i liked the characters a lot I think I would tend to agree. It's interesting that you call it episodic because one of the things that I both kind of critiqued it for and went in going, uh, sort of went in knowing this was what I was going to get was that it felt very much like Firefly. And it sounds like to you, it just plain felt like a TV show, like the middle of a season or something. Yeah, it definitely felt a lot like that. It felt like like a first season TV show or something, which I liked it. Um, mostly because of the characters and the world building and the aliens, because they were really cool. I really liked the, I forgot what they're called already, the lizard aliens that Sissix <laughs> was. She was cool. Yeah, I agree. She was uh, probably my favorite character. I was also pleasantly surprised by the gayness within it. I know. Well, when I, I don't know, is that a spoiler? Can we spoil Long Way to a Small Angry Planet? I don't um, know. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Okay. Spoiler warning <laughs> for <laughs> for this book. Um, so not only is it a, it's two women, it's a human and an alien. And I thought like, you just don't see that very often. And so often the alien characters, they're kind of to be color for the world, like kind of to add a little bit of, of world building flavor, but you never really get to see them as a person. And this went completely the opposite direction and was like, yeah, she's actually got a crush on the alien, and, like, this is actually going somewhere, and I kind of liked that. Yeah, and I liked the way they worked out the issues with how humans have relationships and how the aliens have relationships, too. And I wish I could remember what they were called, but um, I liked that the the communication was good. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And then... I've also I also finished a book called Speak, which is not the young adult novel called Speak, which everyone thought I was talking about. Oh, um, I thought so too. No, even I did read that book back in high school, and that is a messed up book. But um, the Speak is by Louisa Hall, and it's I think that's who it was, and it's basically oh, it's so hard to describe. It's a bunch of stories about people who have influenced this AI's life essentially. So there's an AI called Mary Three. And it's about, like, it's got letters from Alan Turing to his best, his childhood best friend's mother. Um, this guy who made these baby bots, which were, like, realistic babies that all these children got kind of addicted to. And then they got banned and he got jailed because they were lifelike intelligence. Um, so it's him in prison writing his memoir. And then there's, like, this young pilgrim girl heading to America for the first time um, on a boat who whose diaries were used as one of the first things that like the AI learned as memory or something like that. Um, and so it's basically all the people that built up this AI to what she is as she's going to die. Like that's not a spoiler. That's in the first chapter of the book that this AI is going oh, to die. That sounds cool. It's really, wow. really well written. It's really gorgeously written. I I had to like pause a few times because I would read a line and it would just like hit me really strongly and I would just be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh man, I'll put that on my list. Did it come I, out? Did it? Uh, excuse me. Did it come out recently? I don't actually know when it came out. It um, it was in my library science fiction newsletter, I think. But I don't know how recent it is. Huh. Well, that sounds good. So, is it mostly letters, or do you get the AI's perspective also? Um, the AI is kind of the what's it called? Not the book frame. The framing narrative, somewhat. Um. 
And so you'd get her kind of at the start of a part and at the end of a part. Um, and then the rest of it's like the letters or the diaries or the memoirs or whatever a certain character is doing, which is, it it builds up really nicely. And the characters are all kind of linked, even if they're not actually linked, which it it makes this really gorgeous web of characterization. Uh, that sounds cool. I will uh, definitely check that out. Yeah. And then I also finished Radiance last night, which is um a Valenti novel. Yeah. And speaking her of, style uh, is weird. Speaking of, I know, speaking of poetic and weird, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of glad that I went from Angry Planet to speak to Radiance because going from Angry Planet to Radiance would have been really jarring. <laughs> it's um, kind of whiplash. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It's such a weird book, but it's kind of done in a similar way to speak that you have just all these different fragments of like scripts or conversations or letters um that build up the story but it's just so weird i've never read a valenti book before so i wasn't entirely prepared for like i've i know about how she writes but i wasn't prepared for it yeah so people a lot of people start with that one or a lot of people start with deathless which is a little more linear but also weird um i read i think i read radiance first and then went back to her very early novels which were outright experimental like no plot no just completely uh like i would call them abstract in a lot of cases so yeah. and you really see that in radiance would you say that you liked it or i think so i have weird i don't know how i feel about it but i'm pretty sure i liked it i got really the first half was kind of i don't know what was happening and i found it kind of boring um and then it got to like halfway through and there's they have like they start having interviews with erasmo and the the footage of radiant car and it gets more interesting there and i was like okay i'm into this and i kind of just like binge read it for the rest of the time because i was really interested about the ending and the ending is really weird so i i'm still not sure how i feel about the entire book just because of that yeah that's funny because what were you saying my experience was almost the opposite like i liked the beginning a lot and i was really drawn in by the way she did the world building and like i kind of liked that i didn't know what was going on (laughs) because i could still i could picture it even if i couldn't place it in context but then the end trailed off a little bit, and I, I love the idea of they're trying to find this um, exploration party that disappeared. I thought the mystery was so interesting, but the end kind of gets away from that. I think, yeah, if the ending had been less, like, the revelations coming in film, like a written format by someone else who wasn't there, it would have felt a lot stronger, but because... You're reading it and you're like, I don't know if I can believe any of this because it's not from the actual thing that I felt kind of weird about it. I mean, it it does sum up the book really well, but I was still like, I don't know if I'm supposed to think this is real or not. Yes. I mean, I felt that I felt that I liked that I didn't know whether it was supposed to be real because like you said, that was sort of the point. But I like even if it was going to be an entirely fictitious ending, even if it had said like this is a movie then um i still think it was a a little bit unsatisfying at the end yeah i agree but i did think it was cool um i was reading the acknowledgements at the end and she was saying that like one of the people that um she was thinking for how they built up science fiction planets and stuff was roger zelazny who i always like he wrote the chronicles of amber which is one of my favorite um book series ever but he's not well known in the mainstream nowadays he's he died um in 1994 and his stuff is really weird. And it was really cool to see that he had some kind of influence on this book. Because once I saw that, I was like, yeah, I can actually, I can kind of see that now. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And Zelazny also like bent genres a lot. I don't know. I've not read the Chronicles of Amber, but I read a lot of his short stories. And I remember he did one about a vampire robot, basically. Oh, like yeah. it had to steal energy from other robots. And I thought that was like, that was such a, um, I guess I felt freed from genre when I read that story. Like, oh, I can combine concepts and make the vampire robot and that's allowed and like yeah, I, yeah. I still yeah I really um Zelazny was important to me for that so it was cool to see him in the uh in the credits for this yeah I really appreciate that because I really like his writing some of it's so weird and I think maybe that means I will end up liking um Valenti stuff if I go and read more, more abstract stuff because I really love Zelazny's weirder stuff um, but I don't know, it was cool seeing that influence in a book that I relatively enjoyed. But something I noticed, because those three books that I read, um, were all written by women, and that was kind of, it wasn't even on purpose, it just happened because of the books I just picked up recently, and I've definitely noticed that I enjoyed them, like, even if I didn't love them, I enjoyed them more than all of the books I've re- read written by men this year. <laughs> like, hmm. I don't, I don't look at, um... I don't tend to read who the author is before I start a book. I look at the cover. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And then I pick it up and I start reading it. Um, But you can almost always tell a dude is writing a book just by how it's written. And it just comes through just so clearly. And then reading a book written by a woman just feels so free from that. Like it, it, even without meaning to, it just doesn't have those constraints that seem to come with a lot of male written fiction. That's that's interesting. There was um, there's so much good female written fiction this year, and I think that we're seeing more things. Like the one thing, although I do think the prose was weaker than the other stuff on on your list. Um, Long way, very much uh, sort of made a conscious effort to remove gender stereotypes and to almost sometimes remove like that lens of gender, which is not something that you see very often. So when you see it, you really notice it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I liked about it was that it didn't it didn't lock anyone away according to gender, which was really nice. Yeah. Tom, do you have anything you want to add or anything you're reading? Um, unfortunately, I'm not reading a whole lot. Uh, these past few weeks have been a little bit busy getting uh, a whole bunch of things ready for New York Comic Con, for books coming out later in the fall, um, and then uh, one project that I can't mention yet, but will be made public later this week that I'm super excited about that has sort of eaten up all of my reading time. Um, so unfortunately, I have a massive stack of books uh, next to my desk at work, and actually next to me right now of uh things that i want to read that are sort of outside what i normally would read actually fractures is near the top of that list in part because of the crazy array of talent um that is that is there and along uh, the long way to a small angry planet is on that list as well um so hopefully in the next couple weeks i'll get to read some more stuff um but luckily the stuff i'm working on that's coming out which i've kind of read through several times it's all cool stuff but unfortunately i'm not not able to do a whole lot of independent reading at the moment. Well, hopefully we'll be able to read the stuff you're working on sometime in the future, too. I think you will. Um, so you mentioned Fractures, and you reminded me of what I was going to say before, which was that there's a short story by an author called Kelly Gay, who is writing a novel in the Halo universe next year. And her story in Fractures was about, I believe it was about the same character. And it very much almost read like an introduction to a novel. Like it was really good, but it basically ended on a cliffhanger. 
So I'm really curious to see how she does. Her book is called Smoke and Shadow, I think. Oh, that one. Yeah, I've heard of that. I think it's yeah. one I'm excited for. I read like a little blurb about it and I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm glad to see just another female author coming to that franchise. And her story was, was good. So looking forward to that. I'm going to admit, I saw your little note there that said Kelly Gay, and I was like, wait, did, is Kelly Gay, did that get revealed in it? But no. <laughs> no I'm sorry, <laughs> Sav. Not the, not the Spartan Kelly. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm always ready to be disappointed when it comes to gay Spartans. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we'll talk about that on your Ace Space podcast one of these days. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. All right, um, anything else we want to do in terms of books, games, non-Destiny stuff? Um, I actually had forgot a game that I did actually play in between all my Destiny playing, um, and it actually straddles the line between a, a, st- a book, a story, really, and a game, is um, Telltale released the second episode of their Batman game, um, which uh, is really interesting because, A, you're not really so much playing a game as you're just experiencing a, a narrative in visual form and making some dialogue choices here and there and occasionally pressing X to like punch the bad guy or not get punched in the face by the bad guy. Um, but the reason why I wanted to mention it is that um, for anyone who um, is into Batman but maybe um, a little tired of a lot of Batman stories that sort of retread the same uh, couple of ideas, they... Um, it wasn't clear from episode one, but episode two made this abundantly clear that this is essentially an Elseworlds Batman story. Like, this is not a Batman story that is meant to take place, like, in the middle of the 70, you know, seven-year canon of Batman. Um, they're playing with some very interesting ideas about who Batman's parents may have actually been before they died and uh, some secrets that the Wayne family might have had that... Bruce only now as he's become Batman and and taken center stage in Gotham is starting to uncover and some of those secrets and some of those things he's learning um, aren't really wonderful. Um, I'm not sure yet if the story really intends to make um, his parents having actually been criminals and connected to a criminal syndicate, but that very much looks like the way the story is going, which uh, is something that's really interesting to me um, and particularly uh, interesting with the fact that it gives a little more reason to why a Batman story would actually go back and rehash his parents' death again, um, considering how, how often that happens. So if anyone's interested in experiencing a Batman story that's going to try something a little bit different and maybe also wants to get some gameplay out of it, the Telltale Batman series, which is two episodes in and there's three more planned, um, has been really good so far. My only complaint is that the character design on Batman, on Bruce Wayne, um, he looks exactly like Sterling Archer. Uh, so <laughs> it's a little bit difficult <laughs> to reconcile, like exactly right down to the fact that when he's you're playing as Bruce Wayne and he's wearing a suit. It's the same color gray suit that Sterling Archer always wears. And the jawline is the same. Literally everything is about them is the same um, other than the voice. Um, so if you can get past that, um, which does take a hot minute, but if you can take, get past that, um, they're doing some really cool stuff over there um, that I was kind of excited about after episode one. And now I'm really excited about it after episode two. I keep forgetting there's a Batman Telltale game. Like, I know it exists because I have friends that are playing it, but I just forget it exists completely until somebody mentions it again. And I, I do want to play it. I totally do. Because um, everyone's been saying interesting things about it. But I just need to remember it exists next time I go on I, Steam. <laughs> I promise to keep reminding you, Seth. Okay, good. Good. 
I've heard such good things about Telltale games and never actually played one myself. I've only played the first Walking Dead season um, and then forgot to play any other game that they released. I meant to play um, The Wolf Among Us because I have a friend that loves it a lot. But oh, I also want to play the Borderlands ones too, but um, I also want to just play Borderlands in general. So one day I'll play all these games. Yes, uh, I did not play the Borderlands one, but um, Elizabeth, who's one of the editors I work with at work, she works on Star Wars with me, um, she speaks very highly of the Borderlands game. Um, so I would definitely check that out. I've seen um, one scene from it, and it looks we did. They did Game of Thrones ones, too, um, oh, yeah. which I only played the first two of, and they were actually really cool um, and, and really immersive um, and are intended kind of as side content to what was going on in the show. So, um, But I never played. I didn't play through the, the full I think there's four episodes of that. I didn't play through the full four. I am sort of waiting for them to make a, a game in a franchise that I can't say no to. And then that's when, like, when they, you know, if they did a Star Wars one, that's what would get me in. Oh, Star Wars Telltale game would be so cool. amazing. Oh, they got to wait until I can get hired there, though. <laughs> okay. You hear that, Telltale? No, wait until you get Saf. Yeah, then full exactly. steam ahead. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, I think we're going to go on to our main topic. Um, so on last week, September 20th, um, Rise of Iron dropped its Destiny's newest expansion. It's um, several story missions, one new strike, one new raid, and one new public area. So about the same size as... Um, I, I guess about the same size as... House of Wolves, which came out last year. So I was really excited for this. Um, my main impression is that I love Destiny. I always have fun playing it. I'm glad there's new content. But when compared to the other um, expansions, this one was a little thin. And like I hate saying that because the parts of the story that were good were really good, but there wasn't enough good to justify it. Um, so... Tom and I have been working toward the light level for the raid. We um, were fortunate enough to have some people help us out yesterday. I'm still, we're still working on it. I got to 355 after the raid, which was kind of cool. Um, but we're still sort of exploring it. So, Tom, do you have, uh, so what, what's your impression in general? And also yeah, what light biggest... level did you get to? <laughs> Uh, I'm now to 356. Uh, a little bit before the podcast, I uh, went on, did did a little bit of grinding and was able to get myself up to 356. So, you know, this long, slow march to um, to raid ready, um, you know, continues. Um, but I, my biggest impression about Rise of Iron is it feels a, it feels very much like a step back from what we got with Taken King. And I am tr uh, struggling a little bit to reconcile my thoughts about um, Rise of Iron because I can't help but frame it in the context of well we recently got Taken King which you know after the first two expansions which really see didn't seem to do a whole lot for changing what Destiny was or improving on some of the like basic flaws of the game it really was just like oh okay they've added another raid here oh you know House of Wolves okay we've got this other space we can go to now called the Reef and oh there's some extra activities but you know it really wasn't addressing a lot of the basic flaws about the story and the level of sort of immersion and what do you do after you've finished the four story missions and you're just kind of patrolling planets 
and Rise of Iron actually kind of feels like a step back from the Taken King in that respect. And um, I think after the Taken King, I think a lot of people probably expect that, oh, great, Destiny's kind of turned a corner. You know, whatever um, whatever they were trying to figure out that first year that they finally figured out and then were able to put together this great expansion. You know, now it's, you know, clean slate. Let's move forward. This is going to be great. And with Rise of Iron, it's fun. It's cool. It's awesome to have, you know, this fell winter peak social space to go hang out in with wolves and you're on a snowy, you know, mountaintop with, you know, a temple and kind of castle built into the mountain. It's very cool. Um, And Saladin is great as this character we now finally get to really interact with more beyond just the Iron Banner special event. But I just every, you know, just walking around the Plaguelands and doing the missions, I just can't help but feel like it just feels almost like uh, you know another piece of ancillary material that they just were like oh great yeah we got to get this out um, because it feels so disconnected from the rest of the destiny experience that um, as much as I have enjoyed the story parts that it does have and how much I've enjoyed some of the new content it it feels so separated from the rest of the game that uh, it's hard not to be a little bit disappointed and you and I Megan have talked about this when playing where you leave the plague lands or you leave one of the story missions and then you kind of go back to the rest of destiny you go back to the tower you go to one of the other planets you even just go to like the cosmodrome normally and it almost feels like rise of iron didn't happen everywhere else um yeah you know you don't you don't have dialogue from other characters um you don't have like cade who is mentioned a bunch in Rise of Iron because there's another a new character who is a, a sort of close, uh, you know, sort of apprentice is. But Cade doesn't have new dialogue or Cade doesn't appear in the story. And same for the other members of the Vanguard. And I think that's the part that's the most disappointing for me, that it feels like Rise of Iron happened to my character and it feels like Rise of Iron happened to Saladin. But Rise of Iron didn't happen to the tower. It didn't happen to the rest of Destiny, which is, I think, the biggest shortfall for me. Yeah, and there's so there's a couple things that I want to sort of go over before we get too much into that. Um, so Kotaku reported that Rise of Iron was made in only nine months at the time between this expansion and the last one. Um, and they were sort of saying, um, and I don't know, I haven't corroborated that, but I noticed that in their their one of their reviews, they say. Um, a small team at Bungie developed Rise of Iron in just nine months, so it shouldn't be a surprise that here at the main campaign is very short, which I do think is important to take into account. I don't frankly know what the length of development is for most of these, but that, that does seem like, you know, a relatively short amount of time. But then you do look at something like The Taken King and compare it, and for people that haven't played Destiny or maybe haven't played since the vanilla game came out, um, Taken King introduced a character, a villain called Oryx, who attacked the um, the solar system and, and parked his ship outside the rings of Saturn. So you could now go out to Saturn, which is the furthest you can go out in the solar system, and you fought this like uh, multi-dimensional god type character and that was the big raid at the end of 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 taken kings feeding oryx which was very much like you got a lot of dialogue from the characters in the tower um you never really see civilians in destiny which is kind of disappointing in general but you got you saw what happened to the reef you got more of a sense of that like tom said it affected other other people and now rise of iron brings it 
down a little bit, um, both in terms of scope, most of the missions are on Earth, and in terms of, like, literally you're going into an underground bunker in the, in this plague lands. So you're, you're fighting Siva, which is sort of an artificial intelligence. They call it a machine plague, um, which has the, has infected one of the, the fallen, one of the enemy races, and it attacked the Iron Lords, which are the main source of the story for this. So the two characters that I think we got to know the most are Saladin, who was always um, in the tower to run the Iron Banner event, and Jolder, who was an Iron Lord that we see just briefly in the very uh, in the very beginning, and her story is very important to the the whole thing. Um, and I really liked them as concepts. I love the idea of a fire team of people who had to sacrifice so much in order to defeat this horrible threat. But I also felt that their dialogue was not particularly used efficiently, and there could have been a lot more sort of density to their stories. I still didn't get a lot of personality. So really good plot, um, less so less so personality. Yeah, we didn't, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those things where uh, I think for me too, the, the, to speak specifically to the dialogue, the dialogue in mission, the sort of like ambient dialogue of Saladin or, um, Shiro, who is a associate of Saladin that you end up meeting that kind of, uh, serves as another new vendor person at this new social space, um, you know, during missions in previous expansions, whether it was Eris during um, Taken King or Varix uh, during, you know, House of Wolves and whatnot, or Cade during Taken King and some other parts, the dialogue that would go on around you, you know, sort of in your head, like as you were going through a mission, as they were almost narrating it to you, was it just felt more lively in those other missions. There was a little more banter between your ghost and whatever character was sort of ferrying you between these missions. Whereas with Saladin and Shira, you kind of would get these, you know, notes here and there about something that was going on with Siva or the danger of this plague or or lamenting what had happened to Yolder and some of the, and the other Iron Lords. But otherwise, it just it seemed a lot more expository rather than attempting to delve into creating a more immersive experience. And some of that maybe is speaking to the fact that this was done with a smaller team in a in a smaller frame of time. Um, but I think, I think you're right that it really comes through a lot in the dialogue or the, or the sort of the lack of robust dialogue kind of where the story might have been held back a little bit. I mean, we joke and are partially serious about how I'll care a lot more about a destiny story if it has Eris in it. And that's true because she's my favorite character and I think her voice is really unique. Um, but it also... I think if I can attempt to be objective about that is that she is very much affected by what happened to her. She was in a similar situation as Saladin where she lost most of her, her friends in a horrible, horrible mission. And um, you see that in literally on her face. You see that she's, she's scarred. She's got messed up eyes and she's sort of, she's gone a bit, gone a bit mad when she was, uh, 
when she was part of this mission. And you don't really see that so much with Saladin. He seem he he certainly doesn't seem untouched by it. Like his some of his dialogue is really affecting, but you don't get as much of a sense of impact because and and I want to say this in a way that doesn't just sound like well because he's not as like because this dialogue isn't as weird as Eris's is. It doesn't work. Like, that's not really what I mean. But it, hers was really infused, not to make a Destiny weapons pun. It was really, um, you couldn't avoid knowing what happened to her. And I was a little more distanced from what happened to the Iron Lords. Does that, is, is that just me uh, finally being able to talk about Eris? Or would you, do you think that is getting at anything actually interesting? No, I, I think it is, and, and another part of it, um, I think another part of that is that Eris's story was something that we had only, we had always kind of been playing around during Destiny, uh, up until the point where she became a very central character and a character that we really interacted with directly, but we had always been playing around many of the events or many of the fallout, much of the fallout that came from her direct story. So we were, you know, investigating things that were going on on the moon, you know, with the hive, and, you know, we were investigating uh, the darkness and the way that it was affected, you know, the way that it had affected, of course, uh, the Traveler and everything like that. And so even before Eris became a pivotal character in and of herself, and we got to delve into her character through her sort of unique appearance and her dialogue and everything, we were sort of already primed to really care about her story or at least be very interested in it because everything we had been doing in the game up until that point, at least a great deal of it, had been related to her story. With Saladin and the Iron Lords, that's not really the case. The Iron Lords and Saladin only existed as this once every few weeks special event called Iron Banner, which is really just a multiplayer special event where there is some, uh, you know, equipment and, you know, other loot that is specific to that event. And if you're not a Crucible player, if you're not really a PvP player in Destiny, you probably, you might not actually even really be aware of who Saladin is because that's just not part of how you were playing the game. And so once we jump into the Iron Lords story in Rise of Iron, which is really interesting because the Iron Lords predate the Guardians, and so they are like the proto version of you, of your characters. Yeah, and there's um, very much the sense of like we're going into the ancient history with all its attendant nobility and savagery. Yeah, but when we do that, you know, we don't have a whole lot of extra context other than what we learn in that initial, um, in that initial video. Um, which is a great video. It's one of the best cinemats that Destiny has done. But then we do the missions and then that's it. And again, because the story doesn't carry over really to the rest of the game, it's like you spend your little bit of time with Saladin and the Iron Lords and then there's not a ton of depth there. And then you weren't really doing anything related to the Iron World uh, Lords before you did that. So it's kind of easy, I think. I think it's easier than to just kind of drift away and... Um, be like, well, that was great and that was interesting. Man, there's maybe some more there that I wish we had gotten to study, but doesn't look like game's going to let me do that. I think maybe that's a little bit what you're getting at or a little bit what your your reaction to how you relate to Eris or how, how compelling and interesting you find Eris, how that isn't maybe the case as much with Saladin and the Iron Lords. It's I think, I think there could certainly be an element of that because, and part of it is just sort of personal preference, but also yeah. I think 
you're completely right that Eris's story was very much placed very carefully within the lore, and there wasn't as much lore with with Rise of Iron. There were some, there were interesting grimoire cards. There was the Owl Sector uh, event, but there wasn't as much, and you didn't. And this actually kind of goes into what we were going to talk about next. You were, you didn't get the sense that the Siva crisis had affected your player character very much because it hadn't been mentioned before in, in that person's life. So did you feel like, did you feel any sort of particular connection to the player character in this one? I have, I have the player written down on our list of like characters to discuss, but I also felt that there, there wasn't too much to say. You don't, partially because the player character doesn't speak. I didn't feel that this really added much except the, and this is, seems to be the theme, like this is the pure enjoyment of the, the gameplay itself. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, the, in one sense, though, I did find it a little bit interesting because it really does, um, it really does seem like the, this is really the first time that the game is bestowing a sort of um, actual advancement upon you as a guardian like an actual sort of title uh, uh an actual real rank like an an actual mark uh quantifiable mark of your uh, you, advancement you and you don't think king's and, fall did that and prestige as a guardian no I, I mean i think i think all the others have to a certain extent but like the end game of this expansion is you are literally made an iron lord and you are the first new iron lord in you know you know since the the fall of Yolder and the rest of the Iron Lords leaving Saladin alone, and you are you are basically bringing this part of uh you know humanity and and Earth back to life. You are reclaiming not only the title of Iron Lord, but you literally reclaim the space that the Iron Lords once held, uh, the Temple at Fell Winter Peak, and. I thought that was just such an amazing that w- that was such an amazing opportunity for the guardian character to really kind of advance in terms of his or her standing amongst the guardians as a whole or amongst the sort of vanguard. But because the guardian doesn't speak and because the guardian doesn't really interact with uh, Saladin, it's really through the ghost that you have any real interaction. Um, it again just felt like one of those things where there was so much more that could have happened or so much more there to take out of it that we just didn't get to take advantage of. I mean, certainly King's Fall and, you know, from the Taken King, that certainly represented a step forward for the Guardian and your your defeat of Oryx and all that. Um, but uh, I think Rise of Iron even more so was all about your Guardian ascending to a new level within the... Um, within the vanguard and within the alliance of guardians and the game doesn't really let the character grow out of that um it becomes merely a function of hey cool new armor and you get this rocket launcher that you used to have and, and now this one's a better one um so that that's kind of how i feel about the guardian but i think you know it's been kind of common i mean the guardian doesn't speak in House of Wolves, if I'm correct. I, I believe so. It's been it's been a long time since the Guardian the, spoke. <laughs> yeah, the Guardian hasn't spoken in a long time. And um, part of that, I wonder, just uh, might have to do with the the redirecting of the story of Destiny and, and fra- the reframing it. Um, 
but yeah, it's kind of been a while. And I mean, as the player character, I'm so invested in my character in terms of the way that my character looks and the types of weapons that I use and whether or not my character is, you know, her subclass. Um, obviously, Stormcaller, because you get to shoot lightning everywhere and be like Emperor Palpatine. Obviously um, the best. Yeah, obviously the best. Uh, so I'm so invested in that part of my character that I'm kind of okay if in terms of the storyline, the plot, like my character doesn't have dialogue and a voice because in my head, I just continue to, to, to kind of evolve who she is. Um, but no, I, I definitely think there was an opportunity there for the character to, um, to grow a little bit. Um, but obviously without dialogue, that's, it's a little bit hard to really take advantage of. Yeah, that's about where I stand with that. It's all depends on how much you want to put into the character, sort of. Like you can, anyone can, can come up with their own story and sort of work it around the, the canon story and, and make it fit, even if the, the player, the character on the screen doesn't speak. So you brought up, um, talked about the vanguard and i have in my notes here just where is the vanguard which is a concern they so they um because the expansion did not really touch the tower at all there wasn't really any new vanguard dialogue so now you're left with this idea of the three most powerful guardians in the tower sending i guess also one of the most powerful guardians in the tower but sending somebody pretty much unsupervised out with uh shiro who is sort of Cade jr um so what what did you want to uh to talk about in terms of the role or lack thereof of the vanguard i mean again i think it was just that the vanguard really as far as enhancing not enhancing elevating the story and making the story feel as if it was a broader um event that the Vanguard should be involved. I mean, the Vanguard are literally watching the wall that gets breached. You know, that's part of what they do in protecting Earth and the Traveler and the Cosmodrome is this wall gets breached and now there are these fallen who, you know, we spent a lot of time dealing with the fallen directly on orders from members of the Vanguard who are pouring into parts of the Cosmodrome and they're, you know, infected and different and this is all very strange and dangerous. And yet, you don't get any missions from any members of the Vanguard. The Vanguard don't seem to know that this has happened. Um, and then you have a character like Shira, as you said, who has this strong connection to Cade and who has a very kind of personal relationship to him. And we never get to see Cade, who is, you know, the most enigmatic character in the game. Um, we don't get to see him. We don't get to hear from him. We don't get to really hear or see him and Shiro interact. Um so it just, again, it seemed like, you know, understanding the the limitations of the whatever the development cycle was and the size of the team, understanding all of that. It just seemed like, again, coming out of the Taken King in the way that we have seen the Vanguard as characters, each as characters evolve, that this was, again, just another really great chance, particularly because this is happening on Earth. It's so close to the tower. It's so close to everything the Vanguard really stands to protect that you there was an opportunity for some really interesting character interactions. It was an opportunity to have Saladin, you know, interact with the Vanguard. And how does he, as someone who is outside of the Vanguard, I guess, but he's part of them is he technically have equal standing with them like that is something i really would have liked to see explored um 
Uh, also, because I also wanted to see Cade like try to have a conversation with Saladin and and Saladin try not to summon his flaming axe to like smite Cade, because um, <laughs> that definitely is a thing that would have maybe happened. Uh, so it, again, it just comes down to thinking about all of these cool opportunities for more storytelling within this story that we just didn't get. Um, and that's really kind of where I am with the Vanguard uh, or in, in Rise of Iron specifically. Just imagining Cade just like sort of trying to talk to Saladin and Saladin just doesn't want to talk to him. Like he's just, he's a man of only so many words and Cade just starts getting increasingly annoyed because he just wants to talk. And gets chattier or, and chattier. Yeah. Or really what would happen, this is really what would happen, the worst of it, is that Cade would show up at Fellwinter and start messing with some of the trinkets and the artifacts <laughs> of the old Iron Lords, and like things would get real serious. <laughs> Cade's um, going to find all the secrets by accident and then stash yeah. stuff in them, and then things like, are going to get real... Like he would find Yolder's helmet and be like, why are you keeping this piece of garbage? Like, I have so many better helmets than this. And that would just basically start a war. Rude, um, Cade. Rude. Yeah. But that's what would happen. It, um, it, yeah. yeah. So that's that's really what I wanted. Um, Saf, do you have anything you want to add about, like, sort of weaving character into this type of game? I can say that I would not want to do that myself. Um, <laughs> no, it... It oh man I had all these thoughts while you guys are talking and now that I actually have to talk myself I've forgotten all of them. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Write, writing for writing characterization and stuff like that for expansions and kind of self-contained things can can be hard um, in keeping characters consistent as well, which might be why um, and sometimes they're kind of not included if you don't have the right members of the team to write them properly but i think destiny still just sounds like it still has a bit of problems coming from when it was launched like it's definitely sounds like it's gone a lot better um with this narrative and everything but i think it's still still trying to recover yeah i would i would agree and it's i feel like we're kind of saying the same thing over and over again i don't want to do, do, do that too much but i feel like that's the main thesis we took out of this is that we I love Destiny. I really want it to be, I want it to reach its potential, but it hasn't yet, even though it's been going for two years. Yeah, it's still on the older consoles, right? Uh, not as of Rise of Iron. This expansion yeah. is actually the first oh. that was not on older consoles. I think that was a good step. As unfortunate as it is for people on the older consoles, it really hinders their ability to do things that they need to do for the story and for the game. Um so I feel like it'll be able to grow more from there now. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. So relatively quickly, um, we, in this game, we face Siva, which is sort of an artificial intelligence. And we were talking a little bit while we were playing about how I don't think artificial intelligence is quite the right thing to say because it's not really sentient. Like you, Like, it's not a character. It's just a in effect sort of um did you tom did you read any of the owl sector cards or the grimoire that came out about siva i haven't read all of it i've read a chunk of that stuff i probably read about two-thirds of what's available um but i've read some of it yeah and did um, you feel like it was interesting was it helpful or did it sort of fall flat to you 
I think it's been pretty interesting because I like the idea. I mean, we already have in Destiny the concept of like with the ghosts and with the ghost. You already have, you know, an AI who, you know, speaks and sort of operates in the way that if you think of AIs in pop culture and in games like, you know, 343 Guilty Spark or Cortana, like that it kind of fits into that mold um, to go back to Halo for a second. So the idea of a um, an AI like entity that doesn't actually have a um, doesn't actually have a sort of like human doesn't actually have like the human portion of it that you as both a human person or and that your avatar character can relate to that it's really just sort of like a mechanical virus I actually found super interesting um it's a almost a force of nature more than a character um and i think that because destiny plays with um the idea that some of the the evil in this game are not these like sentient uh not sentient but not these um you know uh very like evil focused like twirly mustachioed like super villain type things but that a lot of the villainry or evil in the game is it's the darkness it's this just like force of nature that wants to extinguish the light it's siva this sort of machine entity which oh by the way you, you know people created or it looks like had a hand in creating mm-hmm. um that just wants to sort of perform its operation which is to like take in raw material in whatever form it happens to absorb it sometimes being people or you or whatever and repurposing it to something else or the way that the vex kind of work so i think it's actually really kind of in keeping with some of the ways that destiny is exploring you know what you fight against and what evil is um so in that sense i actually find it really interesting um i do think again that while i'm fine that at no point did we get like a two minute monologue from saladin like this is exactly what Sa- what siva is because i'm fine with a little bit of mystery about it other than hearing like siva is bad you must stop siva we did a lot of the stuff that was in um that extra material didn't make its way into the narrative in any meaningful way which again just is one of those things that i wanted you know would have liked seen a little bit more to help frame exactly what are you fighting against um during the campaign yeah, I would I would agree. There were some pretty good cards. I tend to tell people that like even if you don't like Destiny, it's worth reading um the Books of Sorrow or and now I think I might say like if you're not even into Destiny, check out the Owl Sector, which is um it's uh owlsector.bungie.net and it's a little story about how Siva was created and I I think it's written pretty well. So that was that was kind of fun, but also Siva sort of is sort of opposite of the the hive, which were the main enemy before, because they're very intentionally channeling this darkness energy and um, almost defined by their definition of it. Whereas Siva is, there's no question of definition, there's no question of intent. It just does its thing. Um. All right, so if there's nothing else we want to talk about with story, we can just go into gameplay uh, pretty briefly. I don't have too much I want to add about this, except that, like, the new um, sort of activity area, I guess, is Archon's Forge, um, which is, like, this sort of Mad Max-style 
Oh, how would you ah, see? I keep wanting to use destiny descriptions to describe it because, like, it's like <laughs> Court of Oryx. How would you describe it to a non-destiny player? It's a um, it's PVE. <laughs> yeah, it's a PVE arena of That's sorts, the word. Thank and uh, you. you know, yeah, a PVE arena. Yes, um, <laughs> that yes, but it is not as as p- some people might be familiar with from other video games. It is not instanced, which means like when you show up there, it is not the game is not like invisibly creating like a a version of that arena like just for you and maybe the people you're you're playing in an actual fire team with it's out in the middle of the wider world so when you show up everyone who's playing on the server with you could potentially also be there and so you can show up and acti- the activities can be happening in the same way that quarter works was like this the activities can just be happening when you show up it's not like the game is in a state of that part of the game is not just like in a state of um nothing happening until your player character decides to stroll up and make things happen yeah and that was fun it was you get to run around with axes on fire um it was a bit of a yes um (laughs) it was a bit of a feast or famine for me my my friend said she like and i don't know if you had this experience tom but i tended to find that either like there'd be nobody there and i would have to wait and go do like the kind of tedious thing where i had to go get a key to start the event or there would be like seven people there. It was it was really feast or famine, but I think that's just how it worked out for me. Yeah, I think, well, I've experienced the exact same thing. And I think part of that, there's a piece to it that the key that you need, the piece of loot you need to activate it, your character can only hold one of. So unlike the Court of Oryx, where you could hold many keys or many of the items you need to activate it, so you could activate it like 10 times in a row and, and, and keep it going, you can only activate it once at a time, and you have to hope that each time you activate it, you then find a new key immediately. So if you're there with only one or two other people, and you each have one key and you use it and no one finds any new ones, well, now you're done. And so now there's going to be nothing. Um if you're there with a bunch of people, there's a chance that you'll find quicker turnover. And so I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are experiencing this sort of feast or famine, because it's very easy for there to be long stretches where nobody on your server or nobody who's playing the game around you at the time can actually activate the event. And so, you know, you wait around for a couple of minutes hoping some guy shows up with a key, but, you know, you're playing Destiny. You're not just going to, like, sit there forever. You want to go off and do things. So I think that that's... I don't know if at some point we might see a patch where they either increase the drop rate or maybe decide you can carry more than one at a time. I haven't read anything about a rationale as for why it's sort of this um, gated almost. But uh, I think that's the reason why people are experiencing this a lot more than they did with Court of Oryx, which is a very similar concept in that it's a PvE arena in the middle of a large space that a lot of players are going to be in. But when it is working... Yeah, when it is working, and actually a little while ago when I was playing, there was like five or six people in there, and we were finding keys off enough that like we played about five rounds really quickly, which when it is working, it's a ton of fun because it is, A, the the space itself is pretty diverse, it's multi-leveled, there's like some hazards, there are multiple entry and egress points for enemies, there's, you know, the aforementioned flaming axes that show up, um, there's a variety of enemies. It is chaotic enough that it's super fun. And it's it's like kind of a, a, a crazy mess and a blast and a, and a great place for you to like test out new weapons and play with your Stormcaller and other lesser abilities. Uh, but when it's not working, it's just a pretty empty arena for you to stare at. 
Yeah. But I do really like it when it's working. And I love the fact that when it is working, it's because there's like nine guardians in there. And there really aren't that many other places in Destiny where you experience like nine or ten players all doing the same thing together at the same time. You'll be out on patrol. I mean, you and I see this. We're out on patrol, like, doing a mission just running around one of the planets. And, like, you see a couple other people and, oh, there's a public event. And so, you know, three or four of you get together and do it and then that's it. Archon's Forge is where we're seeing, I think, the largest groups of, like, actual people get together to do a public event, a public type event together. Uh, which I... is an awesome thing. It's totally something that Destiny should be working towards making happen more because it makes the game feel like that much more epic when there's 10 guardians and five of them have flaming axes and the other four are launching off super abilities and stuff. That's that's just like the epitome <laughs> of what this game could be. Yeah, it it really was. It was definitely like, okay, this is what this was what would ad- was advertised. This is what I got. Even though I like the the setting of Court of Oryx more, I like the lore a lot, I find myself looking forward to Archon's Forge in a way that I didn't for, for Court. And I think part of it is because you do know that you're going to get this like really chaotic experience in a bigger room, too. It's, it's simply a larger space than uh, Court of Oryx, and that works for it, I think. Yeah, that's a big piece of it. Court of Oryx got very small very quickly, um, especially once you ran through all the various challenges like once or twice. Yeah. Um, so we did, um, I, I guess we did a, at least three quarters of the raid yesterday. Um, we did everything except I think the very last encounter in Wrath of the Machine. And so um, I basically was more intrigued by the puzzles than by any of the combat in the raid. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I really want to go back and figure out that blasted light puzzle. I think you and everyone else. I, I think know. that's like the, you know, the the unsolved mystery of destiny at the moment that I know. I need you know, to start making people are, are are quitting their jobs and spending 20 hours a day trying to figure out. Well, I was uh, thinking maybe there is something to to uh popping the storm collar ability there maybe if you like like lightning something it'll start something in the server room and like i've been thinking about this i mean that's one of the great things about that particular raid i mean there have been sort of puzzles or hidden things in the other raids as well but i don't know if it's like the setting of of wrath of the machine the fact that you're like literally like kind of stomping around a like giant well server farm at one point but like the mystery of what the heck this like uh building and this entity and this place is actually for and how it actually works is almost baked into the setting itself um whereas most of the other raids have been like you're in this weird nether realm of darkness and it's dark and there's caves and really unnatural looking things here don't die um whereas wrath (laughs) of the machine i think really um but i think Wrath of the Machine in terms of its sense of place and how the place tells the story of what the raid is, I don't think... I think Wrath of the Machine does that better than any other of the raids going back to Vault of Glass. Um, And actually, I highly recommend um, anyone, even if you don't play Destiny, on YouTube, there's about a, a minute 45 video that Bungie put out last week that was like the launch video for the raid because the raid itself didn't 
open up until a couple days after Rise of Iron came out. It's about a minute, 45 seconds, um, and it's just like clips of, of players playing different parts of the raid. You can get a sense of what's going on there. And I mean, you'll see, it's like a mishmash of like crazy Mad Max style, like giant flaming machines coming at you that you need to like stop and then fix and then drive off cliffs with that are amazing. And also this very cool, like semi matrixy kind of, uh, actually it reminds me a little bit too of like, you know, alien, uh, ship movies, like either alien or a little bit of interstellar that like you're walking through these really weird, strangely lit, uh, hallways and stuff. It's super atmospheric and awesome. Um, and that's I'm super excited to dive back into the raid a bunch more times to you know uncover secrets. I'm also really happy that with this raid, the light level, um, meaning the difficulty level and thus what power level your player needs to be at in order to really participate in it, actually scales within the raid itself, which as I'm fairly certain isn't something that Destiny's done before. The other raids are all basically like you need to be this light level and the 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 difficulty curve or the light level curve for the whole raid is the same whereas this one it gets harder as the raid goes on which means you and i who aren't quite at the light level you need to be to complete the raid can still participate and like do the first half of the raid without too much trouble and still make our way with a good fire team like we did all the way to you know towards the end but it's great because it just incentivizes you to keep jumping into the raid to get a little bit further the next time and a little bit further. And then obviously you use the raid itself to get yourself better gear. Um, yeah. I really like that part of it too, um, because I think it is removing some of the barriers to entry that some players uh, face when they want to do raiding, when they want to raid for the first time and they haven't before and they go looking for a group and they suddenly find that every group is just like, you can't raid with us unless you've raided 30 times. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to raid 30 times if no one will let me raid even once? Um, and I think Wrath of the Machine mitigates that a little bit, um, which is really nice. Yeah, I mean, it can still be difficult to find a, a group, but in terms of that incremental progress, I think there's there's good and bad there. There's the the sort of grind where it really is like you have to quit your day job to get to the raid the day it, it launches. But um, it also means that you can do like what we're probably going to do, which is, or at least what I would like to do, which is that you go in, you do the parts you can do, you get new weapons, you get new gear, and then you go back in and you just keep slowly um raising your level based on what you have before and it's it's you know you get to explore while you're doing it and that's that's not a bad way to to make that work yeah that's that's definitely how i see it and that wasn't the case with the other raids the other raids would be like okay we're gonna gotta run the whole thing oh my light level is not ready i can't run it at all you know it it felt very much more like a all or nothing proposition yeah. And this doesn't feel that way. So, okay, anything else about gameplay you want to add? And then I'm going to pull Saf in for another, like, a more general question. Yeah. Um, not really. The only other thing is that, um, you know, the new enemies, which are essentially Fallen, who have been infected by SIVA, aren't that much different than the other Fallen. They kind of regenerate a little bit. There are these weird kind of SIVA missed things that come off some of them when you kill them and they can hit you and blow up like a grenade um so they're cool looking i like the design of them i kind of like the way that the siva infection sort of modifies how they look but gameplay wise they don't 
really offer that much different of a challenge, um, which is neither here nor there. Like, that's fine. Um, and the game itself still has, you know, the best first-person shooter mechanics, basically, you could ever ask for. Um, but I think as far as gameplay... Oh, actually, no, there is one other thing we probably should mention, is the Iron Lord artifacts. Oh, yeah, that are probably available, should. <laughs> which are... Um, so, you know, you're as a character in this game, which is at its base in RPG, you have a bunch of equipment slots for... You know, all sorts of type of equipment, stuff to wear on your head, boots, you know, different types of guns. And there's a slot for something called an artifact, which is essentially just like an extra item that'll give you power or help you increase your light level. And with the Iron Lords, they've... Yes, yes, help you make friends, sure. Uh, Depends on which of those artifacts you get. Some of them are weird, they're like pieces of bone, and I don't know who you're making friends with with that. Um, But for Rise of Iron, they introduced these nine artifacts or eight artifacts i think it's nine nine artifacts that represent uh previous iron lords like yolder and Fellwinter, and each of them actually has a special ability that really modifies your character in some really weird ways like one of them will let you sprint indefinitely whereas normally in the game you can only sprint for a short distance and then you'll sort of stop Another of them takes away your ultimate ability, but then like gives you a boost to stats and gives you a couple of other extra bonuses. So sort of fundamentally changes then your approach to your character. Um, and then the one that you and I both have at the moment that we're both finding, I think, really enjoyable, if slightly confusing at times to use <laughs> because of how other people react, is that when you hit a, um, an enemy creature, there is a small percentage chance that you will actually swap their allegiance and that and they will become a friendly ally for a short amount of friends. time. Yes. Yes. By hitting them? Yes. By punching them. Smack them in the face. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing uh, when one of the enemy creatures just starts shooting at like the giant boss with you. Um, it's really awesome. Um, sometimes it freaks out other people in your fire team if they aren't aware that you have that artifact and suddenly like the giant creature they were just shooting at has stopped shooting at them and is now helping them um, which leads to some funny moments um, yeah it was but those are really interesting i'm really looking forward to exploring the rest of those artifacts and the ways that they modify your character yeah and they're um, not all available yet so we'll be sort of seeing what the different ones can do in the next couple of weeks i think yeah i think it's like three they're gonna cycle they cycle three every week and so assuming you're getting all three every week, it's going to take you at least three weeks to just get all of them, and then they'll just keep cycling. So, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about in general with Destiny that is not necessarily specific to Rise of Iron, but I think does apply, is that the game is always sort of supposed to be about hope. It's supposed to be about exploring the solar system and sort of regaining something humanity lost. Um, It's it's about a war, it's about darkness and space zombies, but it's also not, like, super dark. And I think, I wish I could remember the name of the article that I, I was glancing at today and thinking about this, um, because, and I only, like, looked at a headline, but basically my, my question was, do you think that Destiny has any place as sort of a, um, a unique FPS in that it is so positive? in that it's relatively light. Would you agree that it's relatively light? I would. I mean, the ghost who is not only your like constant companion and the one who has the most dialogue in the game, but as we've talked about recently, has basically become the stand-in voice for your character 
you know yourself um that character is all about sardonic humor cracking jokes uh making funny little asides um even in the sort of darker more intense moments and that's something that has been consistent all the way back to vanilla destiny when it was still the glorious um forever in our hearts dinklebot um so i think i think that it is a little bit unique because the game never strays too far into the idea of like the eternal darkness and despair of like an intensity of like war 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 games um there are certainly moments of it in the lore you can certainly find it and the game will touch upon it um now and then um and usually when it does it does it in a a smart and then like a a good way um but i think you're right i think that if you look across the spectrum of sps's particularly in the last five or six years most of them have embraced a very grim uh very like focused on the horror and reality to the extent to which a video game can can do that of war even games like halo which are you know so absolutely um standing on the fantastical spectrum of war because they're super futuristic in its space um but yeah i think you're right i think destiny does actually hold um a I think Destiny does hold a unique place in the FPS genre because of its approach and because of the fact that it retains this lightness and humor um, throughout the game. Cool. And I do think that Halo under Bungie did that a little bit also. But I I guess I just wanted to sort of check whether you felt that way too because it's also a very like black and white game. It's very good versus evil. There are cases like Eris where that is a little um not blurred but like a character is a little bit of affected by both but in general it's uh it's sort of a refreshing refreshingly simple uh worldview and i kind of like that about it yeah i mean the pitch for the game the the marketing pitch for the game when it was coming out was become legendary you know that was the goal the goal the goal was for you to become this super legendary which implies hero which means i think from the game the game the the, from the onset the game is decided like you're this super great awesome hero the point of the game is not to sort of debate as uh you know your role in this large war and whether or not you could ever be a hero or what does heroism mean in the context of a war and violence and death like the, the game is not concerned with those with answer asking or answering those questions and i think that that has meant that they've always had this focus on like the grand adventure of war games and fps's rather than the moral uh the moral quandaries of uh of shooters yeah and and there's good and bad to that obviously you don't yeah yeah. but um here uh halo is kind of doing the opposite thing right now where it's asking that question of what is what is heroism and is um is the player always right whereas destiny what? is not not so much doing that in a, and that's okay you know you kind of need yeah. need both well i wonder i wonder too like halo is asking those questions because at the beginning as you pointed out it seemed like halo was asking or was looking at it the way that destiny looks at it now and that i over time and and over as time has passed i think the halo franchise i don't know if you guys agree with this but the halo franchise has sort of been around long enough now that it now gets to ask these 
other questions because it's responding to itself, to a prior version of itself. So Halo 1 and 2 had a particular view and a particular, you know, had a lightness to them and a grander sense of, like, adventure. Whereas then Halo 4 and 5 say, okay, well, what is actually the ramifications of all of that? And what is the ramifications of a character or a being or a group of characters who have lived through that and experienced that sense of adventure? And how have they come out the other side? And I think that, at least the way I look at Halo, that Halo has sort of progressed to begin to answer and look at those questions now that they weren't really in a position to do um, with Halo 1. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I think saying that it's in conversation with itself is a really good way to say it. Um, Hunt the Truth, the uh, narrative podcast kind of did that, literally did that. Yeah, really good. Um, Halo 5 did it as well to a slightly lesser degree. Um, Obviously, Halo 4 and 5 had different writers than the the Bungie group. So it is, I I would agree that it's sort of responding to itself at this point um yeah. will I, Destiny... I think also um with halo 343 kind of had to respond to itself because it couldn't just take up the bungee mantle in the same way um so they had to kind of do this approach but i think it's interesting seeing the way that it's growing um with with those themes yeah yeah and i don't know that i would want like and this is actually i I laugh because before we were saying that destiny still feels new and how that can be a bad thing but i think what i'm getting at now is that that can also be a good thing too i like this sort of innocent feeling that it has and that it's it's not having conversations with itself yet to that degree which is not to say that it's not that it doesn't sort of interrogate certain ideas and again you get most of that in the cards but it's not cynical about itself and I kind of hope it stays that way yeah I hope so too I think Bungie's good at that um largely which is why they went that route with Destiny and also because it does stand out because even I noticed that when whenever I've had a chance to look at it or play parts of it I've noticed how lighthearted it seems even when it's you know you're, you're shooting robots or something um and it's, it's dangerous obviously but it still feels more hopeful um and sometimes things longer running things can kind of get obsessed with the idea of questioning themselves and kind of going down the more morally gray path and it can often kind of change the spirit of the story and sometimes even ruin it and even though i'm not like a disney fan because i haven't played it i want it to at least stay nice and innocent and hopeful until i get a chance to play it myself oh <laughs> just gotta wait until staff is is ready well, that that <laughs> That brings up a good distinction too, and like I, I hope this is, I, I hope this is interesting. Basically, there's a difference between commenting on your own franchise, which is what franchise fiction does. A lot of times, it's, uh, it's commenting on itself, um, and just going grim because you feel like that's the only possible thing that can make it interesting. Is the yeah. distinction between we have to make this morally gray because maybe that the that's the thing that a more adult audience wants or that's the thing that's trendy now versus here's a theme that we maybe are interested in exploring and didn't explore before let's explore it in a different way yeah and i think a lot of things accidentally fall into that latter um problem where they kind of just go morally gray because it seems like the more mature thing to do or the more serious thing to do um instead of actually having a reason for it 
And I never like it when things do that. It always ends up tiring me out and I kind of drift away from whatever it is. Um, no, and yeah, I think Destiny's more serious moments, I guess, are still very adventurous and very like outreaching. I mean, I'm such a, obviously such a like storm caller at heart and I'm such like a warlock fan, but in, in the lore, there's so much about warlocks, like basically investigating things they shouldn't have investigated and like becoming fascinated by either one of the the alien races or by concepts and sort of spiraling out into them and I like that kind of story because even though it's a dark story it's still a story about exploration and I think that's a, a way that Destiny messes with its themes a little bit while still keeping them consistent. Anybody have anything else to add about that? I See, I finally got to talk about the Hive because <laughs> I get to talk about Corrupted Warlocks. I knew it would come to this. It all comes back. <laughs> it all does. Hive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't I don't think Seth you have anything to worry about. I don't think the game um in any in any sense in any in the near future, even I think later on, I don't think the game is ever going to drift away from that sense of adventure and you know, comedy and a little bit of heart that it has, because yeah. I think that that's one of the things that it really, that's one of the identities it's had since the beginning, you know, amidst everything else that the game has either been about or not been about or tried to pivot on. That's the one thing that really has stayed constant this whole time. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think, I and you're right, Megan, it's one of the things that, you know, almost every day I feel like super excited to even just play like 20 or 30 minutes of destiny. And a big part of that is obviously that the mechanics and the actual gameplay is super fun, but a big part of it too is because it's this like cool adventurous, um, wonderful game where I get to fly around the solar system in a ship with my favorite ghost buddy and like make jokes about the aliens that we're about to go fight. <laughs> yeah. And, and be with a bunch of other people, whether they're people you actually like know or people that are just with you on Archon's Forge and you never talk to them, but you're doing the same thing. You're all sort of united at that. Also, Saf, when, when are you joining our fire team? Um, you guys are on Xbox, right? Yeah. Yes. When I when I get an Xbox. Um <laughs> hopefully okay. not long after I get a job. So maybe maybe soon, maybe later. Oh man. I'm gonna be so excited when Saf, the Sunbreaker Titan, comes storming into our fire team, quite literally. <laughs> it just starts wrecking everything. It's gonna be great. Oh, oh man. it'll be fun. I'm excited. That I'm really to excited to get to Destiny. And I think um Megan talking about it all the time gets me even more excited to start playing it eventually. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad we got this platform to talk a, to talk about it for a whole episode because because I could probably I'm trying not to go into the like real minutia of like all the owl sector characters and stuff. So oh, that's for for people who don't know because they they obviously don't don't play with us, but some of the best times are sitting in the fire team just doing like mundane missions and walking around listening to megan and and one of our other friends jen having these like super crazy in-depth lore conversations about um eris or um like whatever else new like grimoire card has been like released recently um it's pretty incredible i hi highly recommend <laughs> the cards are so good guys they're so good <laughs> okay so i think that's about time for us. We've talked a lot about um, sort of how ROI compares to the other the other expansions and how it, it it's not quite as much uh, 
content, but obviously we're really enjoying it. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? I feel like you missed a very important topic of not being able to pet the dogs. Oh, no. That's true. That's true. Can't pet the wolves. So Cannot pet the wolves. Zero stars. However, you can remove your HUD and take wonderful pictures with them. So we'll call it even. Just don't forget to turn it back on when you go in the room full of splicers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there are wolves. You can take selfies with them. Somebody... I saw a picture um, of somebody had managed to like sit their guardian next to a wolf and look like they were hugging it, and like that's that's what we need. <laughs> Get on it, Bungie. Yep. <laughs> so, um, okay, I think that's our episode for this week. Tom, thank you so much for coming on and and pretty much doing the same thing that we do all the time when we talk about Destiny while playing, but <laughs> but stationary. Thank you very much for having me. This was a ton of fun. Excellent. Um, so where can people find you on social media? Uh, so you could find me at Darth Internus, uh, I-N-T-E-R-N-O-U-S, after the word Darth. Um, also, if you uh, ever either want to ask a question, complain, otherwise talk to the Delray Books social media conglomerate, uh, I am usually the person on the other end of that. So uh, feel free to say hi. And Tom is my co-conspirator on the Holonet Digest for uh, Delray Star Wars. So you can find that at delraystarwars.tumblr.com. Yep. Oh, my God. I totally didn't look at that today. I need to do that. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Our schedule fluctuates sometimes. Um, I was going to do SAF next, but I'm going to go ahead because I started. Um, I'm (laughs) I'm, uh, at blog full of words on Twitter. I have... uh, reviews out on den of geek right now about all the stuff that we just talked about i have some work on starwars.com and yes i can be found at blog full of words at whatever applicable social media uh what about you seth you can find me on twitter at wanderlustin w-a-n-d-r-l-u-s-t-i-n um you can also find me on my site notsethwork.com and on a variety of other sites i'm out there everywhere um, and I'm also on a new podcast that just came out on the Toshi Station Network, which is Ace Space, which is a podcast about the asexual perspective and also science fiction because we like science fiction. Yeah, Toshi Station is doing a lot of cool stuff right now. The Thrawn cast has just started with their reread of the Thrawn trilogy too. So if you uh, somehow got here without also getting there, definitely check them out. All right, thanks for listening, and don't forget to check the Western Reaches. <laughs>